0: <laughs> Hi there, welcome to the Chinwag with me, Mike Laverick. Um, before we get started, I want to kind of explain how the Chinwag's format is kind of altering and it will also set the scene a little bit for uh, my like little Q&A session with uh, my chap today. Um, one of the downsides, I think, of the previous Chinwags is... Oh, one one of the good things about the previous Chinwags, depending on your opinion, was we often roamed around various topics, often going from one question to another, which was entirely unrelated. So what I'm looking to do with the, the kind of new series of Chinwags is to try and make it a little bit more structured, so I'm a bit more focused, um, but still the same knockabout fun that it's always been. Um, and the other thing that I want to sort of focus on is, and it's kind of related to my new role here at VMware, which is to focus on the infrastructure, and I've got a little bit of an anecdote to tell you about before we step into the the questions and whatnot. Um, When I was working on the edits for my last book, um, the publisher and the printer were working on the cover, and they kept on trying to type the word infrastructure, but every time they typed it, they kept on putting a typo in. They kept on typing infrastructure as if it was the word frustration. And when I saw them do that twice, I thought, aha, we've got something here. There's a link between the two words, infrastructure and frustration. Now, being the typical guy I am, I tried to make that into a brand word, into a word, into the infrastructure wag, but it became so difficult to say, I decided to just dispense with that. But um, that's the kind of focus that we're going to really have over the next couple of podcasts. Um, And we'll mine this kind of uh, Seem for as long as I think it's got some value before I switch it to something well uh, elsewhere. So I wanted to talk about the infrastructure, how frustrating it is, and how we might restructure the infrastructure, uh, for want of a better phrase, both in terms of technology, but also in terms of the kind of things we do as people, as individuals, the structures of our organization. It's not just the technical infrastructure, but also the kind of business process Structure. Anyway, I feel like I've rambled on for far too much already. <laughs> it's time for me to shut up. And I'd like to introduce you to uh, somebody has been on the chin wag before and uh, I met um, at VMworld just recently. His name's Craig Waters. Craig, can you introduce yourself to people listening in and people watching?
1: Yeah, cool. Thanks, Mike. So, obviously, my name's uh, Craig Waters. Um, my Twitter handles um, cswaters1 and my blog post, I'll get it all in there Mike, my blog post is Um I, I've been in IT, I don't know, about 15 years now, I've been with my current employer probably around about six years, I'm an independent consultant so that's probably a long time working for the same client but um, I guess in that period of time it's meant that I've Progressed in you know quite a few different roles. So I've you know for the same business I've been the, the network guy, the storage guy, the compute guy, and and now I'm actually doing more of the architecture side of it. And you know as a as a side of that um, more team building and and working with individuals and promoting their skill sets within the organisation. So there's been you know a big vast area of um, uh, parts of the business that I've been involved with and. Yeah, so um, you know, I kind of feel that I've 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 worn a few pairs of shoes in the last six years, and as part of that, it's given me you know some kind of uh, clarity as to um, you know a bit of the frustrations around infrastructure that you're talking about just there. So yeah, that that's me.
0: And I'm right in saying that you're one of the leaders for the Melbourne B-Mug, Is that
1: right? That's that is my alter ego. That's correct. Yeah, Mike. Yeah. So so I run the. Uh, the Melbourne VMUG down here in Australia. Um, I've been doing that for probably about two years now and um, it it does take some of your time up, it, it, you know, it is a commitment but, um, you know, because of that it's been a vehicle for me to do things like, you know, go to VMworld, um, meet with people like yourself, Mike, and, you know, um, get involved in the community and, and give something to it but also get something out of it as well. So, yeah, it's been a great experience
0: so you've got an opportunity here to plug your next vmug meeting when is that by the way next
1: week by by chance oh, uh, so wow. Thursday <laughs> the yeah Thursday the 27th of September we, we start about 4 p.m and the theme is going to be um, SRM site recovery manager and uh, we've got a company called Neverfail who are sponsoring the event and they're going to talk about their product they've got a product called uh, SRM extender which integrates into the workflow of SRM and allows you to protect physical servers which is probably quite an interesting uh, proposition and also we've got um, a VMware representative talking about some of the new features of uh, vSphere and SRM and also the vSphere replication as well and also we've got a, a community uh, presenter as well a local company who are talking about their um, SRM experience their, I think the title somewhere around, um, you know, doing a production failover of a um, of a, an environment using SRM and some of the perils and pitfalls and pluses of, of the experience. Yeah, so. that's
0: great. I, I am very pleased to start to see that filtering through now through the community, which is, you know, the, in the very early days, I felt like I was the only person who was really championing SRM, but now there's increasingly more customers using it. That's starting to feed back into VMUGs and into VMworld sessions with people coming with, you know, real case uh, studies and real experiences. Okay, well, um, let's get into the, the the Q&A, if you like, or our discussion. Makes it sound like I'm, you know, interviewing <laughs> you. Um, but um, I guess this sort of discussion we had, I think, all that time ago when I was last in Melbourne, which was uh, probably the end of last year, I think, even. Mm-hmm um and it's something that you've blogged about on your blog which is that you've that the business that you're working for has kind of undertaken a radical uh re-infrastructure uh restructure of the way you guys are working but before we get into that i wanted you to sort of outline what was so frustrating about the situation and the environment before this sort of restructure happened give us a kind of the blast from the past before all these changes came through
1: Yeah, I I guess it's really that, you know, around the ideas of silos of work, you know, and so you'd have um, network guys dealing with network issues and storage guys dealing with storage issues and, you know, server guys dealing with server issues. And I guess having those separate teams and separate groups of people, and it's a fairly small environment where we work, you know, we're we're talking about, you know, a dozen people. um, But even in that small space, you know, there were um, roadblocks and, brick walls that would be hit around, you know, doing something as simple as provisioning a VM or um, getting a VLAN permission provisioned or getting some space of disk provision because the the workflow around that provisioning process was very much a case of, you know, an individual does a certain task and then that gets ended up to a next one and so on and so forth. So you had the complexity and the, the the number of steps to get a task done, but then you also had the um I know the battle of the wills around you know when we when we go through change process when we 've got a change that we want to do on the system the implications that are and you know the the storage team would pit against the network team and so on and so forth, and you 'd have those situations where um you know there 'd be a bit of um, cross blaming and you know that, that kind of thing it, you, you know what it 's like you know so so yeah look. Quite a frustrating experience, really, because it was you spent a lot of time spinning your wheels trying to get the groups working together than actually get on and doing the work and, mm-hmm. and delivering the service that you've been, you know, um, so after have to do in the first place, you know. So, yeah.
0: I mean, that's a very like kind of big picture kind of view of what's going on, but I wondered whether, you know, okay, we've got technology people in process and we could talk about it in a kind of a general way, but can you st- give us a very practical example or a specific case where it seemed to fall apart you know that kind of chaining of various people's responsibilities can you make it real for me like a particular example that yeah, to I
1: guess like um, I mean an example would be like a change request to go through to um, provision some uh, provision of VLAN on some uh, for a, a new a new network for example mm. and what would happen is is that it would get it would go through the change process to get approved the work would be completed, and then none of the servers could actually access that network. And the reason why was the the guy had provisioned the the, serp, the it set up the networking components and provisioned the VLANs and and set up the the network and equipment, but then he hadn't trunked the VLANs to the ESX host so that the ex, ESX host could actually see the network, so the VMs could actually see that network and communicate across that network. Mm. You know, we, we're dealing like we're like a You know, ninety-five percent virtualized environment. So, if you don't trunk the the VLANs to the ESX host, then you're kind of not doing anything. Do you Mm. you know what I mean? And so, I guess it's that level of uh, understanding. You know, the network guy is kind of like, well, that's not my. You know, I I do the networks. I've got the networks covered. If you want to do the server, then hand it over, sort of thing. That that kind of thing.
0: Mm. I mean, you'll have to forgive my kind of stupidity around this because I'm not uh, a networking guru. But, um, I thought in the world of esX you would just mark all the network interfaces as being for trunk ports, but do you I guess I'm thinking it's the other way around really the actual VLANs have to be marked for it being accessible for VLAN tagging and for trunking. is that right Yes,
1: yeah, it's, well, it's the ports, yeah, so the ports have to be tagged for the VLAN, mm. but it's in this instance, it would be the ports that the esX hosts are connected to would be um, tagged with multiple different VLANs. Yeah, so it's in yeah. effect a trunk so that the ESX host's vSwitch can then have its port groups assigned to individual yeah, yeah, VLANs. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: guess in my naivety, I thought it was something that you did once and then you'd never have to think about it. But actually thinking about it, that's not the case. It's something that you would have to make sure you enable for every VLAN you created. Is that right?
1: Well, this is, uh, yeah, I mean, this is as well, like this particular instance was for a test environment. Mm. And so, you know, there was a lot of changes going on. You know, we went from a model of having a single test environment to having multiple test environments for different specific applications and the life cycle of those applications. And so we went, you know, and unfortunately the way way we live in now is we can't pre-populate. Um, 20 vlans we had to do them one at a time and Mm -hmm. so because of that you know and that's a process as well thing and i'm going into not digging in too deep with it but um, you know because of that um, the the amount of um, vlans that we had to provision over that period of time the business didn't know what the next vlan would be or didn't know when the next requirement was going to come up so Mm -hmm. you know it's very much a reactive Um, Scenario. So, yeah. So,
0: it wasn't like they they would be be able to create pools of VLANs which you could then consume as and when you needed them. It was a kind of as we need a VLAN, then we have to do a change request and have that VLAN defined.
1: Yeah. Nothing that complex at all, unfortunately.
0: uh, So, I mean, um, you'll have to sort of fill us in on the tail. The business Mm -hmm. restructured the IT based on, I think, some of the things that you were uh, talking about. So, Tell us what that restructure was, and you know what it's like whenever you change something or restructure it in itself creates Ooh. ripples of of <laughs> the very thing that you're trying to change and the way of changing it itself, the change creates uh, frustrations change. in that process. So tell <laughs> yeah, us about yeah. the good, the bad, and the ugly of, of that restructuring mm. process. and Because it can't have all been wine and roses when it was going. No, through. no, no.
1: Yeah. No not at all no look look I mean it, it did actually uh, eventuate that uh, members of the team actually left and you know actually moved on to another to other roles and, and they were and look I, I don't want to be um, bagging network guys or storage guys or whatever, but it, it, a lot of it was around the fact that the individuals weren't prepared to cross skill that they, that they felt that they would specialize in a specific technology or a field of technology and that they didn't they were not open to looking at another field of technology and that's an individual thing I'm not you know again I'm not trying to generalize that or anything so so we ba- we basically went and created like a data center services group and as part of that group pretty much all these um, teams that were working in separate silos were all collapsed into the same group. And then there was a lot there we actually there was a you know a, a physical locality thing as well. So they all moved into the same area. They all sat you know in the same um pod sort of thing in the in, in the office space. And and so that created a lot of dialogue and a lot of discussion around these individuals straight away. And and that kind of was a catalyst of, of like these individuals actually, you know, discussing end-to-end um Technical areas and, and and it did develop a lot of discussion and I think that was the good thing at the time we were going through um, building high level requirements for a um, a new IT infrastructure so looking at like a converged technology like like a UCS uh, Nexus stroke um, storage we haven't decided on the storage yet it's uh, difficult to talk about that by now but but so in that whole converged infrastructure. And so as part of that, that was kind of as well, it, it's ironic, um, Mike, because I'm almost saying that the technology drove the change to some degree, but do you know what, That that's kind of the reality sometimes, is mm. that you you get a buy-in from the business, they see the cost reduction in having that consolidation and that reduction in the, in the hardware and the tin, and then that actually is a catalyst as well from a, a resource and team perspective to say, look... These things are getting so integrated now that you need that cross set of skills. You can't, you know, you you still need to have your specialist areas. Don't get me wrong. Again, a lot of that comes back to the uh, the size of the organization and, and the number of people in the group. You know, I think in the blog post, you know, I was talking about the trade off being about this becoming a generalist as opposed to a specialist, and the fact that because you need to know more about storage, networking, and compute that. You know, you you become that kind of jack of all trades, and not necessarily a master of one particularly. Mm. Um, I don't want to diminish the the skill set or anything like that, because I think you know the, it is possible to to be competent in all three areas. I believe. You know, again, it's just the fact that um, people have to take on that that learning and that understanding that hey, you know, I'm gaining something by learning by cross-skilling. I'm gaining a, a skill set and gaining a knowledge mm. from Having those multiple disciplines instead of you know a traditionally and look I've done it as well I've gone through the silos of like you know I've done um, I used to be a, a Novell um, specialist a long time ago and you know things like that occur and you know that you have to go and relearn a, a, a new skill you know because mm. who uses Novell these days you Oh know? it's it's everywhere <laughs> So
0: I mean I mean not a scheduled question but do you think given that the team was a relatively Small one, I mean, I'm talking about a massive global corporate. Was no, that process no. of restructuring? Can you imagine that translating into a larger business? Because you would assume that if it was tricky doing it with a small number of people, times that by twice as many, three times as many, a hundred times as many, does it then become even hard, harder to do that restructuring process because of the size of the org?
1: I would say that it, it. Yeah, I would say that it would definitely have an impact. I think a lot of that really then depends on the management and how, you know, what kind of leadership capabilities there are in the organisation. Because, you know, that 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 change really has to be driven top down kind of thing. Mm. So, I mean, I guess from a from, from a technology perspective, it's probably um, you're probably going to have to have still have some kind of smaller scale groupings of of um uh, of engineers or of, of people you know mm-hmm. I mean you, maybe what you do is you don't you know you don't separate the silos on the technologies, but maybe you have them separated based upon you know like a multi tenanted thing, but within a business you know say you have a, a finance group or a you know maybe that's how you you deal with it, so you do have smaller communities of engineers, but they're not across the whole business you know I, I suppose you have a team of architects and then you have those those groups in a, in smaller groups concentrating on specific areas of the business as opposed to being the whole wide range of the business sure. I, I, yeah i, I think know.
0: you make a very interesting point about having management buy-in for this sorts of restructuring process I, I take it you you had that you had the full backing of of senior management to you know to drive these sorts of changes through
1: yeah I did, and and I think the main thing was a lot of that was to do with um, the availability of skills generally. You know, we we've gone out to get um, storage guys or or networking guys, and look, I don't know what the um, skills you know the the difficulty of obtaining good skill set. In other countries, is but in Australia, that there is a level of difficulty. But I think the you know the the classic term is is that you what you want to pay is it ultimately decides what you you know what level of competency you're going to get. And mm-hmm. I think that has a, a factor. Um, but um, yeah, we, we we were struggling to to find someone with that level of skill set, and so we ended up saying, well, do you know what? We'll, we'll pick someone who. You know, I guess I don't know. Like from your experience, you've seen how you know uh, VMware admins and storage admins have kind of you know become a lot amalgamated. And I, and I think you know by some of the the changes, you know the the software defined network, or oh, I've said it, sorry, that's the okay. things like that occurring, <laughs> that's going to drive you know that's going to drive these you know an, an increase in the closeness of these of these roles because you're going to have to know those technologies. Mm. You know, but but I think, you know, it goes back to what I was saying before about that generalist is that you can get people with certain skill set and then promote those other skill sets and, and train those other skill sets. But but for us, it was we found it easier looking for a generalist that this kind of maybe worked in a smaller environment, but got a lot, a broader range of skill set mm. than it was getting someone who was, you know, like, a you know, a CCIE of a net of networking or. And obviously, you know, the, the detriment of that is, is then is that you don't have that, that level of capability in the team. But I mean, I think this is what I've found with, with implementing a, a, a consolidated and, um, you know, a single stack solution like a UCS or, a, you know, there's, there's a several of them like a V block or whatever now is that it's, it's all in the planning. It's all in the execution of that initial, initial deployment and, and if you get those things right, and you've got that framework to work within, then the operational component—and I'm not making it any less valuable or anything—but it does become easier because you're not under the bonnet fixing things. What you're doing is you're actually, you know, you, you're, you're trying—you're actually turning it around and looking at proactively solving things as opposed to. and I am buzzword bingo in a bit, and I'm sorry, Mike, but <laughs> That's okay. you, know, you know what I mean—is that you you are you're not under the bonnet trying to fix things like which is what's happened historically when you've got you know when you don't have that collapsing of the infrastructure when you've got separate silos of servers and separate storage and separate networking you're not trying to troubleshoot you're not trying to when you've got that consolidated stack it's actually you know as long as it's put in correctly and as long as the the planning's done correctly then the operational overhead for that system isn't the same it's not the same level sure
0: One of the things I thought was very interesting about the stuff that you said earlier was it was kind of triggered about uh, getting a more converged physical infrastructure. The technology was kind of one of the impetuses, not maybe the only one, but one of the things that drove this kind of converging of the teams, if you want me to use that phrase. Now, one of the things I find interesting about that is I've always been a bit nervous whenever either a hardware vendor or even a software vendor has said, in order to get the best out of our technology, you have to restructure and change the way that you work. I mean, there are some software vendors out there who, for reasons of politics, I won't actually say who they are, but I've come (laughs) across them. In order to get the best out of product A, we recommend that you change the way, not even the way personnel works, but also the individual business processes, like the way an invoice is raised or a purchase order is done. But I guess you're not saying that in order to get the best out of a converged infrastructure, you have to have these converged teams. It, it's not mandatory. You could still have the converged structure and still use the old structures. Could you or is are you not getting the best out of the technology if you if you don't restructure the teams?
1: I think again, it's, it's when they become so integrated, when the technology becomes so integrated, that making a change in storage could have an impact on the network. Making a change in the network could have an impact on the compute. Do, do you know, like so. You know, again, in that scenario, is unless you've got a good visibility across the different technologies, then you don't, you, you're not. You know, we we I've seen it time and time before where. Someone goes in, you know, like they've they, they've made a ch- they've put a change request in. That they, they they believe that they see what that change is going to impact and what they're, they, you know, there's risk mitigation there. There's so on. There's all those controls, and then they go and do it, and something else breaks completely mm-hmm. that they just didn't even know about, you know. And that could be down to like, you know, even down to just poor application architecture or something like that, you know, something completely beyond the scope of the change. And I think that's the the you know the. The nugget, if you like, is that in understanding on an infrastructure level what those dependencies are, then you're actually, you know, it gives you better stead so that when you do look at, you know, making that change, that you actually got a better understanding of what that impact to that change is.
0: Sure. I mean, I think it's kind of funny that we found ourselves in this sort of position because I remember when I first got into IT in the 90s, the, the phrase change management control just didn't exist. What, what you had was a series of sysadmins who would all sort of do their own thing to a greater or lesser degree. And then what people realized was that they had too many chiefs and not enough Indians and you'd have administration that was at cross purposes. And so what was introduced was these change management routines. The thing you were describing earlier, I do my bit, then I hand off, everything needs approval in order to make sure that, you know, with the best will in the world, unintended consequences of my change affect something but it seems Mm. like we've gone through that change management revolution if you like and now people are really frustrated with it instead and they look at the change management process and the the time it takes for each person to do their little bit and just saying well this is where the bottlenecks are but I think we perhaps forget why change management was introduced in the Mm. first place was to stop that kind of Unintended consequences actually happening, but I guess you could argue if even with change management controls and approvals, with all the best will in the world, the complexity of what we do is such that you can make a change and it can still blow up in your face if you're not careful. I mean, am I wrong in saying that, or is it no, not at times with you?
1: Not at all. I mean, again, it's it's making sure the right people are involved. Do you know what I mean? That where you've got coverage. I mean you know, again, like the example about, you know, the application layer, I mean, you know, you, we, we think that the infrastructure is complex. Well, hey, you know, if we work our way up the stack, then there's complexities yeah, at each does, level. Yeah. You know what I mean? You in know, comparison, so,
0: the infrastructure layer is actually quite simple when you look at the complexities of a multi-tiered application.
1: Well, it's becoming very commoditized, isn't it, Mike? And I mean, mm. I think that's the, the key there is that in that commoditization, you know, it, it, there are levels of complexity in it still, but, you know, do you know what? You can plug it in, set it up, and get it going, and do you know what? It actually does a really good job. You know, mm. like, you know, you look at the release of vSphere and stuff, like, the, you know, the, hearing on Twitter the last couple of days there, like and people just saying, yeah, you know, I've got up and running, I'm away, I'm, I'm off, you know, in a very short space of time mm. now that we've got, you know, virtual applications, you know, like, you know, package uh, apps, you know, that, those kind of things where... You're not having to go and get under the bonnet and get my OS on there and get my app on there and get my database and you're not having to do all those things. A lot of it's all you know pre you know that's that cookie cutter approach kind of thing. You you build it as a complete solution sort of thing. So I think you know where where that's working really well in the infrastructure side. You know it, all that's going to happen is is that there's going to be less emphasis on managing that infrastructure and more emphasis on working up the stack and looking at the application layer and seeing what problems and issues and, and geez, you know, there's there's plenty of them, you know, mm. like looking at some of the SQL code that we have to deal with. It's mm. just, you know, the, 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 not necessarily the, the technical level of the, of the, of the code, but the, the quality, just the quality, just the, you know, um, you know, how cleanly it runs and how well it uses the resources, you know, like there's some shockers out there, you know. So I think that's, you know, once we get the the infrastructure layer bedded down and it becomes, you know, much more of a, you know, a, I don't know, like a background process kind of thing, it, it, then the emphasis will be more on those applications. Sure.
0: Now, you, you talked uh, earlier about when you were bringing in this kind of restructuring of the teams, converging the teams, whatever phrase you want to use, um, there were some individuals who reacted negatively to to that proposition. And what I think is interesting about that is, I guess, like you, I I like change. I don't like things to totally the for same it. way. <laughs> but I wanted to know, why do you think in the world of IT, are there some folks who don't like change? Because it strikes me that the industry that we're in is constantly changing. And if you wanted to be in in, uh, in a, a job or a career where there wasn't any change, then IT probably isn't the one for you. Yeah. You should have perhaps picked uh, a natural history museum or something like that. But wh- why do you think it's peculiar in our kind of sector that you have some people that react in that particular way? Is it a human thing or is it something about
1: our industry and the way we, we work? Maybe it's just a fear thing, Mike. Yeah. I I honestly I honestly it is one of the things one of the biggest things working in this industry that I don't understand. And that is how, you know, as you say, you can you, you get it, you know, it's one of the biggest changing industries that I mean in the last five years, the last three years, you look at how IT's changed. Mm. And I just yeah I, you, you know, I'll be honest with you. You gave me these questions before and, 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 I talk, and, I've, and I've been thinking about this one for quite a while. And normally that, you know, a lot of my process is around. I'll take some on. I'll, I'll stew it for a few days and see what boils out of the pot sort of thing. And like with this one, I've just been sat there going, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I really do not know. And, and you know, I'm not. I'm not that kind of person who who deals a lot of, you know, like other people's psychology and stuff. I'm not really into like analyzing why people, how they are sort of thing. But it does, you know, I do, with this one, I did really think hard and strong about like, well, what would drive someone to work in that kind of industry and then not be a approachable to change i, I don't know like, like i say maybe it's fear maybe it's fear of the unknown maybe it's just as simple as that, there's that I don't
0: know. It, maybe there's an element of worried about job security and job protection maybe you've got quite a high status and you're worried that if a change comes through your influence and status will be diminished i also wonder whether it's an element of combat fatigue i mean i'm 42 i know i don't look it yes such are the preserving effects of virtualization. <laughs> it, it lifts and revitalizes yeah. even the most jaded of personalities. But I wonder. We all I'll, need to bear that. I'll, I'll be honest with you. In my 20s, when something new came out, I mean, even a beta, I'd be the first person to download it and mm. install it, even if it didn't work. Yeah, yeah. In my 30s, I was a little bit more. Yeah, I'll wait for the release candidate. Thank you very much before I jump on board. And now I'm in my 40s, I think I'm a little bit more, you know, I'll wait for the GA, you know. Um, I'm wondering whether that very world of constant change does lead to combat fatigue, that Mm. the more you're in the industry, as you age in that industry, the less able you feel. It's almost kind of worse in the world of IT. Um, But I guess you get this across a lot of industries. The car industry is nothing like it was... 20 or 30 years ago the aviation industry is nothing like and there'll be people who've been in that a while who will say oh well, it wasn't like this in my day you <laughs> know. and it's a bit fatal isn't it and I must admit I'm trying to have the same passion for change and new things now that I had 20 years ago but I do wonder whether I'll have that same passion say at the end of this decade you know, will I be for the knackers yard, you know, ready to be pushed <laughs> out to the, the old people's home because, you know, I'm like, oh, too much change. I'm overwhelmed with change. Uh, maybe our own industry, because it does change that much, leads to that greater kind of uh, accrual in terms of willingness to change. I don't know.
1: But doesn't, but doesn't that excite, you know, like, I, I don't know, maybe that's me, I don't know. But like the fact that cars have changed, the fact that we're flying planes, the fact that I know that there's things that we take for granted, for granted every to. day. You know, the fact that we've got a, an iPad or a, an, a smartphone, you know, like, you know, those things, you know, they actually quite excite me. I don't know, I'm going to turn into a, an Uber geek now or something. I don't know, but, like, so that, that technology change, that's what I got into this for originally. You know, mm-hmm. that, they were the things that, that um, drove me originally getting into IT, is the fact that, you know, these, these little things that, that everyone, that go on in the background, that, that affect every people everybody's life, you know, yeah, I don't know. That excites me. You know, I'm, I'm you're gonna be riled and buzzed now, mate. I'm, I'm, I'm going I'll again. You what, you know what I mean? But that's...
0: it is infectious. That because I remember having this conversation with you at VM World, and I was talking about this would change, that change, and you were like, "Yeah, bring it on, fantastic, more change." And I was like, uh, "Not that I've lost connection with that, but that's the, that's the personality trait, that's the viewpoint that I want to keep in touch with, that rather than going." oh... It's another change, it's another release. I need to keep uh, in touch with that, I think. And I think maybe the people who react negatively to change are the ones who've lost connection with that passion. It's something new, it's something great, it's something different. Can you imagine if our industry was the same from one decade to another? What a boring place it would be. (laughs) What a boring life it would be to be like, yeah, the computer, the laptop, it's the same as it was 10 years ago. What a yawn fest that that would be. So I, I agree with you. Let's bring it on. Let's embrace the change. Let's get excited about it. Let's not. And I also sort of, I do look at those people who react negatively to change and I look at them like going... I don't want to be in your camp. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to be yeah, in yeah, that yeah, camp that goes. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Rub the chain, I'm not sure, too sure whether this change is a good idea. I'm like, because I, I must admit, in my twenties and thirties, I was always the person who was bringing in something new and different, yeah. and I was always up against people who were the naysayers. Virtualization is the is yeah, the yeah, one from the, yeah, from the previous decade, yeah. and I yeah. I don't want to be associated with anybody who's perceived as being a potential roadblock to change because quite quickly, I think management will go, well, thank you very much. But if you're not interested in the change, here's this thing called the door, walk through it, carry on, (laughs) and then don't come back again. So, you know, you know, there is a stark choice to either be an embracer of change or be Mm -hmm. perceived as the person who's the roadblock to things being made better and and being improved. But anyway, less of me ranting on, we're on to our last question.
1: I, would, Which, I just want to say one sure. more thing, Mike. Sorry, was and that was about the um, training, right? We need to develop a better way to learn, like because you know I think there's the coin, the phrase, the the ever treadmill of learning. Do, mm. do you know what I mean? And that, yeah. and I think that's probably one of the roadblocks for me now. You know, being in my forties, having young kids and stuff, is that I just haven't 24 hours in a day just don't doesn't cut it. It's not enough. I need more. Do you know what I mean? So if we can have, like, I don't know, you know, I'll get sci-fi now or something, but if we can have a better way where we can train, you know, like there was a film uh, years back Stephen Spielberg did called THX 1138, and in there all the kids, they're all, they've all got vials that are, like, connected to their arms and plugged in, and that, <laughs> it's got maths written on it and physics and things like that. So maybe we could have, you know, like a vSphere or a vCloud or a, you know, that that would be helpful as well. So I don't know. Yeah, that that's probably one of the other things with the change thing. One of the um, not the downsides, but one of the limit, You know, one of the things that we have to carry with us, and that's that ever learning, ever evolution of um, uh, treadmill of learning. Is yeah, a, I think a big on one. that
0: particular subject, I think the the other important thing, or psychological thing, to to come to, which is something I came to, uh, in about 2001, 2002, is realising that this particular technology that you're dealing with is so vast, you will never master it. Yeah. And even if you did master it, by the time you knew it all, it would already be superseded by two or three releases onwards. So perhaps another kind of good emotional thing is being able to accept that there's that's OK. That's not a problem. You won't know everything. And the important thing is you know your principles. And anything that you don't know, you, there's this thing called Google. And you can you can search and learn from it, and that's probably a more useful skill than saying I want to know absolutely everything about this particular technology. And I, I saw that when I was a Microsoft instructor but, uh, back in the late '90s, early part of the last decade. I was doing, you know, NT four and two thousand, and then when two thousand and three came along, I was like, "Whoa, this thing is so big now. It has so many options, so it has so many features. There's no way I'm going to know everything." Whereas when I was looking at older Microsoft products, it was like, "Well, this is so basic and so crude." within a very short period of time, I'm going to know it all. And I've, I've seen that happen with many different vendors, VMware yeah. is a case in point. The estate of technologies is now so vast, it's beyond the ken for everybody to know everything. And it's, it's silly to have as a human that I, that I must know more. But on, on the subject of your uh, vial, I once had a student who introduced himself on a training course. He said to me, I want to know everything that you know. And I said, well, actually, there's a small USB port at the back of my head. If you have a USB stick with you, we can just download the contents of my brain, upload it to yours, and we'll be done in half an hour. Sadly, the learning process isn't as easy as that, much though we would like it to be. But I think you are raising a very valid point that maybe the old ways by which we learnt the old training methods, maybe they can't keep up and handle the aggressive, you know, constant change that we now live in and maybe the way we present content and the way we absorb content needs to change so you know more online delivery of contents uh, more remote lab environments where you don't have to waste a lot of time getting all your ducks in the row you can just get in and do the task that you want to do and learn about that particular task Um, rather than the way we've done it in the past which is i went on a training course great. I love instructor leg training courses and I've built myself a home lab which I'm going to invest a lot of time and energy in building up. I think those things are great, but can they cope with the level of change that we are now experiencing in terms of you know, new, new cycle of releases, a new version every month? Uh, not every month, every year. Whether you can keep up with that particular method is is perhaps debatable. But That's anyway, right. let's...
1: automation is your friend. Yes, like. indeed,
0: indeed. So let's move on to the last question, which is, you know, we've talked about virtualization. We've talked about the computer, the network storage layer kind of merging together. And even yourself, you mentioned the the uh, software-defined data center uh, idea. I've I've got my own ideas on what the the software-defined data center is, why it's come about, why it's a useful concept. But uh, I don't want to use this as a platform for getting that out. I wanted to ask you... What what does the software defined data center mean to you as a concept? And, you know, you've been your organization has been quite radical, I think, in restructuring what you do. Do you think that you're on the road to that kind of software defined data center? Is that why you you know, can you have your cake and eat it? Can you have the software defined data center without the kind of restructuring that you've been talking about? What's what's your take on this?
1: Yeah, do do we have a private cloud? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> don't, that's don't, the, uh, see that's that's a contentious word now, isn't it? I wonder whether the
0: word software defined data yeah. center will become as contentious as cloud. But I, I, don't,
1: yeah. I don't, think it'll be. A, yeah, I don't think it'll be as. It, it, it's an evolutionary step, isn't it? We, we get we're going into the detail now, aren't we? We're we, we're drilling in a bit more, and you know we're we're seeing a greater depth to the to these you know um, labels and explanations for things. So yeah look um i think it's it's a very it's a very broad topic to the, to put into that single bucket of the you know the software defined whatever yeah and and like also. i think yeah yeah and i think i think really it's about technology but but i think it's also about um people and process as well Here we go i'm gonna go down that road a bit again but um do you know? Like I, I think it's it, you know it's that elasticity of resources. It's that it's that capability of separating. And, and we've seen it with 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 compute of separating the physical from the the actual uh, software that's running and, and consuming the resources. Um, it's all those things, yeah. And I'm sure it's much more as well. But um, I want to give you a really you know uh, ideological uh, explanation of it, Mike. But I just don't have that for you, I'm afraid. i I'm probably going to bottle out a little bit, I think, but...
0: Um, no worries. no worries. You know, like perhaps if I can break it down a little bit, I think mm-hmm. maybe, see whether you agree with this or what you think of this. Um, the term cloud has been adopted not just by VMware, but by many, many different businesses to the degree that some people claim they have a cloud technology when it actually has nothing to do with the cloud. I've, I've heard storage no. vendors who sell a storage array saying that their product enables the cloud. And I'm like, well, I don't really see how on your own... you know how you deal that and i guess to some degree the use of the term the more people use it the more diminished it becomes because it becomes uh, too fluffy for one of a a better word Uh, as a concept what i like about the software defined data center is if you take back that label you can actually point to real technologies that actually deliver that part of whatever we're defining as software you know so the software defined storage well here's an example of different ways by which uh the storage can be abstracted from the spinning disk yeah, and the, yeah, the box with all yeah. the rays. And if you look at the software defined mm. network, here's some technologies, um I won't name check anymore right now, but that, you know, uh take the responsibility of the network away from the physical switch with those, you know, mm. those ports on and moves it to an area where potentially hopefully it's more flexible. So what I what I like about the term is that it feels more concrete to me than 100. cloud is and i've often said to people you know what i want is a concrete cloud <laughs> and <then I've> said, <laughs> the trouble is is that concrete clouds don't really have much of an aerodynamic capability they you know smash into the ground but i guess as technical people you want to try and link the big concept to you know uh, either a dial-up box or a piece of software or a piece of technology where you can go look you know this fluffy concept well here here's it actually happening in the uh, in the real world. And I think that's perhaps why I like the term uh, I've got into it. But, um, but yeah, do, do you think in order to get to that Nirvana of the cloud or the software defined data center, the kind of restructuring you've gone through, is that a thing of the future? Are you a portent of what, what might come through for the rest of us?
1: I would, I'd like to think so. Yeah. I guess it just depends as well on how commoditized it becomes, you know, whether, you know, at some point in the future we'll just buy we'll get a you know your um, best buy or your walmart or whatever and just buy oh we'll have a couple of servers we'll have a couple of discs we'll have a couple of um, network switches you know all with all made by generic brand and then we'll just slot them in and put our software on and and, and the magic begins kind of thing i mean you know who, who knows where that's going to go but i mean it does you know like so one of the sessions I did attend VMWorld was around the VSAM and seeing that how they're looking at pooling um, single servers with their own local storage and local um, memory and CPU, and, and actually aggregating that across many um, single instances of those devices, and, and, and you know building a I don't know a, a grid is it grid computing is that I don't know like where you have multiple cells and then each one's you know, it, it will fail. It, it's got a time to failure. It will fail. But that single element failing doesn't stop the whole continuing as a as a piece. And I guess that's, you know, seeing that kind of stuff with the vSans, I look at that and think, well, that's, we're on that road, aren't we? That, mm. That's where we're kind of aiming for.
0: What I think is interesting about that is that model, if you, I mean, I know it's very sort of storage uh, centric, mm. the distributed storage kind of model, but where that's coming from is the large-scale providers like Google and Facebook yeah, and so yeah. on who have these uh, Hadoop-based uh, clusters mm-hmm. using MapReduce and things like that. I mean, that's in the kind of application space, but you can kind of see what they're doing has an applicability to what we've been doing for the last decade or so. Okay. Um, but I think what's interesting about that is that's a work in progress. You know, It was just a technology preview, I think, at VMworld this yeah, year. Sure. Sure, yeah, um, it's sure. not part of the round of GA's mm-hmm. that happened yesterday. It was amazing. My inbox yesterday, we're pleased to announce GA, GA was like about six or seven product <laughs> emails. Like, wow, everything's ga simultaneously but um yeah i mean i've got my own like upgrades to do uh from vSphere 5.0 to 5.1 today that's my task for the day in my own lab environment but the uh it's just a tech preview of this distributed storage but you were very you were excited
1: by that I was really taken by that yeah i think that's kind of i think they they are right on the money mm. i think that's the the way forward is that um that whole idea that and, and i think that's you know coming back to the software defined that, that like you know the the hardware just becomes very much commoditized and it's more that the smarts are in the software and the it doesn't matter what computer you buy it doesn't matter what piece of storage you do, you buy it's the software that that does the magic and provides the 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 um the magic dust if you like or whatever you want to call it that
0: would be a fantastic end to this podcast.
1: (laughs) And I should really stop there, but I'm like,
0: oh, I really want to respond to it. Which I think what's interesting about that is at VMworld, there was a number of startups that were on the convention floor. Nutanix was one. Simplicity uh, was another. And they're kind of postulating a kind of similar model. But what's interesting about them is you go to their booths and it's, you buy this metal box with their bezel on the front of it. And it's like, so this is the software-defined data center, but you must buy into this physical appliance. Oh. Now, no disrespect to the Nutanix people, and you know that's one particular business model, I guess, for delivering a product to customers. You know, buy into us, you get the software, and we also ship the hardware. But I'm oh. kind of thinking back to the early days of of virtualization and a route that VMware didn't take, which is that VMware never said we're going to go out and buy a whole bunch of cheap super trend micro servers pack them full of memory and cpu take the bezels off and put a vmware bezel on the front the go-to-market strategy was we'll work with the oems to certify their servers you know hp ibm dell and now ucs and others to get our product to market and i think in a way that is well it's been proved in the last decade a more successful way of getting your product to customers and i was saying to these guys i said look you know um this is great for a little project or, you know, something we need to do quickly. But how do I get a big corporate to buy into, you know, your OEM provider of choice, whoever that might be. Forget about them and go with this new OEM provider of choice who's got these black boxes with these bezels on. I, I wonder whether the, the better approach is a more software one, like which is what you're getting at, where, you know, where you get your hardware from, and you said it, where you get your hardware from is, you know, we don't care. You put the software layer on, and your OEM of choice may vary from one decade to another based on you know you know what the Cost. deal is and, and so on. It, yeah. it seems is that is that something that you were thinking about when mm-hmm. when you were thinking of those uh, everything is software kind of way of looking at
1: things. Yeah, you know? yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. Funny you mentioned uh, the Newtonix stuff because I did actually go and get a demo of the equipment, and it yeah, it's very interesting. Um, what they do but it, but it, yeah similar things as, as around you know like a lot of the stuff we went through as far as our unified um, infrastructure that, that we've been going through right now um, a lot of that was around like well you know we want to use a vendor that's you know in the magic quadrant or it, you know it's well established we don't want to be taking any risks with this we don't mm. want to be doing you know we, we may implement it a new way it may be delivered and packaged a new way but we still want those brands. We want our brands. You know, we love brands, you know, and, and that's fair enough, you know, like it, it, it's, it, it's an established, you know, those companies have got an established reputation and that's what that, you know, the some of the management I've been working with, that, that's what they want. That They want that um, that comfort, you know, that, that reduced risk, mm-hmm. you know, and, and mm-hmm. I guess, you know, as far as that's concerned is that, that that's probably not going to change in the short term, is it? I can't sure, no, see, true. you know, in five, 10 years time, I'm sure HP will still be doing servers, you know. Well, thank
0: you very much for uh, being on the show and being the first really to uh, discuss this theme. And I must admit, when I was thinking about this, and I've been talking to other people about what you've been going through, it has influenced a lot of my writing in the last year and some of the chats I've had with uh, other VMUG leaders and people within the VMUG community. So um, I'm really impressed with what you guys have done. But thank you very much for being on the show, and I'm sure I'll see you again probably in early February for the, the Melbourne V-Bug.
1: Yeah, we've got an all-day event, 7th of February, so come on, Mike, and uh, hopefully we'll have some other p- uh, interesting presenters as well. So I'm sure thanks for are. tonight, Mike. I really appreciate it, Yeah, Thanks a lot, yeah.